The text for the sermon this day is taken from that reading from John, and also verse 29, which is a little bit past it, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's actually a pretty famous, well, kind of a famous painting of John the Baptist. A painting of him in his bony fingers pointing out, pointing to Jesus as he came. And his fingers are bony because he's living on a diet of locusts and wild honey. So, not exactly steak and potatoes. And he points the finger as Jesus comes and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You realize how profound that statement is? Do, you give, do we ever really truly think about the grandeur of that statement? Takes away the sin of the world. We could think about all the problems in our world, all the problems in our lives, all the fears and the concerns that I've kind of talked about over the last few weeks. The season of Advent is a season that actually keeps you mindful of that, those realities, keeps you mindful of the realities that there is the fears of ISIS, the fears of um, other foreign nations such as North Korea or Iran or whatever it might be keeps us mindful of our fears of what might happen if such and such politician becomes president. Keeps us mindful of all the fears that we have of, that of, of the things that are ailing our bodies. Whether it be the diseases of cancer or heart disease, diabetes, whatever it might be. We are mindful of the relationships that fall apart in our lives. We are mindful of, of divorces, marriages falling to pieces, barely keeping together. We are mindful of, we are aware of parents who do, the children who do not know their parents. We are aware of parents who are belittled and attacked by their children verbally. We are aware of a troubled world. And that Advent wreath is, a remind, is even a reminder of it. It's that ticking, the reminder, the reminder that this world is ticking down. The traditional color of Advent, which is violet, is a combination of black and purple. The black is put in there to remind you that this world's days are numbered. Your life is numbered. The world is dying, we are dying. And so we are aware of all these problems in this world and we are concentrating on, and so we are consecrated, concentrated on how can we solve these problems. We focus on these because we think there might be a solution to them. You know, ISIS, we just need a good military strategy. Maybe some political sanctions, that takes care of them. Any illness or disease that comes across us, 
We know that there, is, there might be a pill or a disease or, what, or a, but a surgery that will come along, they'll make it better. When it comes to broken relationships, we just got to love more. We know that. But the thing is, is that all of those problems are a symptom. They are the symptom of the greater virus. The greater infliction that infests the world. And that's that three-letter word. Sin. We don't like to confront that one as much. And I think there's two reasons for it. One is we can't solve it. People throughout the history of the world have tried to solve it on their own. And it's kind of like, do you know what happens when you dig, try to dig yourself out of a hole? You keep going deeper. Same thing with sin. Whenever we try to make it better, we actually make it worse. Because as Scripture says of our works, our works are like filthy rags before the eyes of God. And actually, the Hebrew uses even stronger language than that. The literal translation I can't repeat in the pulpit. That's what the, what the scriptures say of our works. We ask that question every now and then. Why do bad things happen to good people? We should know right away that that is a bad question. Because there's no such thing as good people. The scriptures say that there is no one righteous. There is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks after God. Not even one. And, what may, and so in other words, that's the second reason why we don't like to confront sin. Because we are part of the problem. We have the same infection. But the thing is, this is not an infection like a bad cold where you cough and you don't want to be coughing. No, we are willing. We take part in it freely. We do the things that we know we're not supposed to do. We do this from, a when, from the youngest days of our lives. It is, does not take long for a child to learn how to say no to their mom and dad. does not take long for a child to learn disobedience. We grow up in that nature, in that rebellion. Every time we've had any type of ill thought towards anybody, whether it be a thought of anger, a thought of bitterness, a thought of jealousy, at any time when we have not been content with our lives, not content with what we own, and the season of the secular, the commercial season of Christmas is kind of emphatic in that. Discontentment. We're all trying to make... We are never content with what we have, always trying to get more, always to trying to get better, and always trying to keep up with the Joneses. That 
is just the small elements of our sinful nature. Every, even, even every time we neglect in God's Word, every time we neglect to receive His Supper, to come to services, and I'm not talking about because if we have a physical ailment or something, there's, I mean, there are good reasons to miss church. But that most of us, we, the, we don't ever, pretty much never have a good reason. Except for that occasional cold and flu or fever or whatever. And the thing is, every time that you f- decide to miss, whatever reason it was, that was a God for that moment. And you, you take all of those things in our lives. And, and by the way, here's a good way to test. I mean, many of your guys are going to be, I'm sure many of you are going to be going out of town next week for Christmas. Will you make sure that you go to church somewhere on Christmas Eve or day? And if you're there on Saturday, or on Sunday morning, are you going to go into the phone book and make sure you go to church somewhere in town? Hopefully you should. One of the things that I took from growing up is whenever me and my dad would take us on vacation, I always remember this, very first thing he would do when we got to the hotel was sit down on the bed, pull out the phone book, because I'm talking about before we had Google, and you pull out the phone book and he'd, just, he'd go find the Missouri Synod Church in town, call it up, find out when the service times were, and made sure we were there. Even when we were in Orlando and we flew there, we took the um, rental car and made sure it was there. Went through some very sketchy parts of town trying to f- search down that church. But we found it. That, I mean, nothing should stand in our way to hearing God's word. But we let it. And see, this sinful nature, and those are the small things. Those are the common everyday things. Those don't count the bitter and nasty things that we know we have said and done in our lives. And that is, the, that is also a fruit of the sinful nature that is in us. And that sinful nature is the cause of all the bad things that this world has. And here's where it goes even to the harsher reality. The reality, again, that we don't like to talk about that often is what is the consequence for this? It's not just physical death. The consequence of sin is eternal death. Because look at this world that, we, that God created perfectly. It was very good. And we've destroyed it ruined it, wrecked it. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be in the same place with the devil and all of his angels and all of his demons. We deserve to be in hell. Yes, that is a real place. As real as May City. If you could go to May City, which you can because you're there right now, you could also go to hell. It's a real place. 
We don't like to hear that word, or hear of that place, but it exists. It is the consequence of sin. A place where there is no joy, no happiness, only pain, suffering, torment. Eternally. That's the consequence of sin. So when John says this word, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sentence should give us absolute, incredible joy. Because what it, the consequence is eternal death. The worst day of your life multiplied by an infinity. Taken away. And laid on the Lamb of God. Do you know what the job of a lamb was in the Old Covenant? He took the sin of people, the sin of the family or whatever, for which that lamb was sacrificed, was placed upon that lamb. And that lamb died for the sins of those people in the Old Covenant. And the New Covenant... It is the sin of the entire world. Raise your hand if you're in the world. Every single person should be raised. I'm not asking if your head is in the world. It might be zoning off. And that might be the reason why some aren't raising. But you're in this world. That means every single one of you. Your sin that destined you for damnation was lifted off of you and placed on the Lamb of the God who was nailed to that cross. That death, that sacrifice was the atonement, the payment for your sin. He took it away. And all those who believe in Him, who confess His name, all those who repent are baptized. That sin is lifted off. They don't, you don't face the penalty for your sin. He did. He went to hell. He was damned for you. That you wouldn't be. That's why this season of Advent... We keep saying those phrases, you know, oh, come. we're saying, you know, come, we're, it's this emphasis of the coming of Jesus. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Savior of the nations, come. Um, the king shall come when morning dawns, which will be the last hymn for this day. All hymns emphasizing that Jesus is going to come. And when he comes, it's a day of celebration, a day of victory, a day of joy. Because he is not coming to take us to hell. He is coming to take us to his eternal kingdom. Where there's no tears, no hunger, no thirst, no sorrow, no grief. Nothing but eternal happiness and eternal joy. Where you will be able to do backflips. 
You'll be able to run marathons. How many can run a marathon now? Not counting the person, people in cross country. You're going to be able to do these things. That is why we come and worship his name. That's why we praise his name. And so throughout this season of Advent, as we're actually almost done with it, good way to kind of emphasis, emphasize this rejoicing. I don't know if you noticed this, but on the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, on the hymn, on the right side, of the, on the, the right side page, there was these things are called the great O Antiphons. And in the, in the medieval church, during this, the office of Vespers or evening prayer, Right before the Magnificat, the congregation would sing one of the great O Antiphons starting on December 17th. And so, and those Antiphons make up O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So a good way to count down the days to Christmas, and I've mentioned this before, but it's a great way to do it, is on December, you've already missed the 17th, but Keep in mind for next year, I guess. On the 17th, sing the first and second verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. On the 18th, the first and third. On the 19th, the first and fourth. On the 20th, the first and fifth. On the 21st, the first and sixth. On the 22nd, the first and seventh. And then on the 23rd, sing the whole hymn. Emphasizing, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus of Nazareth, has come to you, O Israel. You know who Israel is? This is not talking about the, you know, the, the nation over in, in the Middle East. You are the new Israel. The church is Israel, according to Paul in Romans. So rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and a life everlasting. Amen. Please stand to sing, create in me.